You're listening to Ping, a new podcast by APNIC discussing all things related to measuring the internet. I'm your host, Robbie Mitchell. If you've missed our first shows and are wondering what this podcast is all about, each fortnight we'll be chatting with internet researchers and operators from around the world about the research that they are doing and insights they've gained into the well-being of the internet. For those who have been listening, thanks for the shares and feedback. And if you did subscribe, thanks for that too. Okay, let's jump into our fourth show. Today, we're talking to Vice President of Technology, Policy and Standards at Comcast, Jason Livingood. This role draws on Jason's extensive experience at Comcast. He joined the company in 1996 to help launch high-speed internet and includes applying research and standards to initiate new network and service concepts. One recent initiative that Jason has helped oversee is the deployment of Active Queue Management, or AQM, as we'll refer to in this episode. If you haven't already read his post on the APNIC blog, or caught his lightning talk presentation at the Internet Research Task Force Measurement and Analysis for Protocols Research Group, do add it to your reading list, as it gives you a great perspective of the problems that Active Queue Management seeks to overcome in particular, how we perceive, measure, and improve latency. He'll talk about two different types of latency in the show, working latency and idle latency. Jason, welcome to Ping. Thank you. I'm glad to join. Thanks. So Jason, the traditional way of measuring latency has been to send a ping, something that this podcast tips its figurative hat to. But as you discuss in your recent blog posts, this doesn't necessarily provide a true reflection of what a network's latency is or its quality of experience. Could you expand on that? Yeah, that's exactly right. I think the ping that we're all used to running is really just a ping um, you know, by itself without any other real network traffic happening. And so I and a lot of other folks in the industry have been trying to sort of redefine that as idle latency um, instead of just latency by itself. And that measurement is certainly still useful. It tells you the round trip time from you to some destination, but it tends to be really reflective of two things and only those two things. One is the path distance. So, you know, if you're running a ping, you know, from Australia to Los Angeles, it will be, you know, one uh, sort of ping time reflective of that uh, distance versus something, you know, locally within country will be much lower. So path distance is one key component. And then the other, um, which is, is certainly um, important, um, is whatever the underlying network infrastructure is. So that could be a 4G or 5G radio network. That could be um, a DSL or a cable modem network, or it could be fiber to the home. Each one of those have slightly different inherent latencies in that first hop of the access network from say, the user's device or the user's home up to the next hop. And so idle latency tends to measure those two things. And those two things are important, certainly path distances, but it's not really the big thing that influences you know, quality of experience for an end user. And this is where you're talking about working latency. Now, this seems to be a new concept. Uh, when and where did it come about? Yeah, it's been um, discussed for a while. I think initially, people talked about the the notion of buffer bloat, and uh, you know, Jim Geddes and Dave Tat and a bunch of other folks, especially Jim, have popularized that uh, term. And really, that in the way that I think about it, at least, 
exemplifies sort of the worst case when things really go off the rails and you've got uh, you know really horrendous buffering and terrible latency. Working latency though is more you know what happens when you're routinely using your connection when you're you know using the web you're using you know watching streaming video uh, you might be doing a video conference just sort of normal usage not necessarily fully maximizing the usage of your connection let's say but day-to-day normal application use. And I think we talked about a few terms that might be possible there. One was sort of active latency, another was working latency. And I think, um, you know, as an example, Stuart Cheshire from Apple really has sort of, you know, championed working latency as a term. And so I think by and large, everyone's adopted that. And it, it makes sense because it really demonstrates its normal working conditions of your connection. You're not doing anything particularly extraordinary. Um, and it's sort of what happens to latency while you're using the connection. And to think of that in a test, we talked about running a ping test with idle latency. You know, you might drop down to the command line and you know run that as a, a test. In this case, you know, you might be say running a speed test or watching streaming video while you're running that continuous ping test, and you're sort of watching what happens. You know the the round trip times are going to suddenly start to increase as soon as you have some competing traffic on your network. And that is the working latency. That's what happens when the connection is working, doing some kind of work. But why has it taken until recently for us to realize this is what we should be measuring instead of idle latency? Well, it's it's a tough question to answer. I think it's um, some of it is just sort of the assumptions that people have about what the key inputs to you know a quality end user experience are, and perhaps sometimes you know we can become a bit you know overly focused on some of those things. So as an example, I would say for the past twenty five plus years, people have really been focused on if you want a better experience, you need higher speeds. You know you need more capacity, and so you know we. We're rolling out cable modems, you know, and initially it was, you know, maybe one and a half megabits per second downstream. And now connections are above a gigabit per second. You have fiber to the home and, you know, all of this competition to increase that capacity of the home user's connection or the mobile user's connection. And certainly that is a huge factor in performance. That can't be denied, right? But in that single-minded focus on adding more capacity, having more efficient forms of access network technology, and so on, we sort of ended up missing that as your speeds increase, there are other things that also sort of emerge from the darkness as major factors on the quality of experience. And latency is one of those things. And maybe a good way of uh, giving an example here is certainly during the pandemic that we're still in the midst of, when suddenly in the March uh, 2020 timeframe, people started to shift very quickly to work from home, you would see people maybe upgrading to uh, fiber to the home or to the highest end DOCSIS 3.1 connections, maybe one gigabit per second downstream, in some cases, even symmetric one gigabit per second services. And yet they still had problems when they were doing maybe a Zoom call or uh, they had rebuffering when they were you know, doing video streaming. So... You're saying that latency rather than speed has a greater influence. Right. So the speed's speed's super important, of course, but you know, you have these other factors that seem to explain a lot of what's happening here. And 
if we use like video streaming as an example, um, you know, video streaming is by its design adaptive bitrate streaming, right? And so it adapts really well to changes in overall capacity or bitrate. Think about watching, say, a streaming video on your mobile while you're in a car or a train and you're moving. In the, I mean, that's sort of magical on some level that it's like able to constantly adapt to those changing conditions, right? And so a lot of those protocols um, adapt well to changes in bitrate, but they don't adapt as well to changes in latency. And you can see this in more real-time interactive kinds of applications. Gaming uh, is, a, is a great one. Um, video conferencing is another voice over IP. Um, but there are a lot of applications, really anything involving user, you know, that would have delay where people would notice that. But those are some of those where it becomes a factor. And just to sort of double click on that variability um, issue for, for a moment, it's not just good to have low latency, low working latency, but it has to be consistently low working latency. It can't jump all over the place um, because the application just has trouble keeping up with that and adapting to it. Is this where you discuss in your post the need to measure the 99th percentile rather than the median and mean that we traditionally do? It is, and that's a great question. You know, median and mean are great ways to summarize data when you have a normal distribution, meaning a typical bell curve. You know, everything's sort of these long tails on the side and a big um, hump in the middle. And that is not really the way that latencies tend to be distributed. They are either bimodal, usually multimodal. So you have all these individual clusters of performance. And so if you did, you know, a mean or a median, that presents really an inaccurate picture of what the variability of experience is. And so a better way to do it is to look at, say, the 98th or the 99th percentile to look at what is really kind of the worst case that you would see. And then you could also um, look at jitter. So the variability of that latency, what does that look like? And a lot of us, you know, love to look at um, CDFs to to display this, but you know, for the average person, <laughs> they usually don't uh, really understand those as well. So you know, looking at 98th or 99th percentile is is usually a, a easier, more comprehensible way. So, what can users do to improve working latency? Well, I think um, a few things. First, I would say for the average home user, um, if you have a a computer like I'm working on now, um, or a gaming station or television, I would definitely try to first and foremost connect it over Ethernet rather than use Wi-Fi, uh, just because there's a lot of inherent latency and variability in Wi-Fi itself. But you know, putting that aside, there's something called Active Queue Management, AQM for short, and AQM is one of the an overall catch-all of several different types of solutions to this from Coddle and FQCoddle and Pi. And, you know, there's a whole range of different types of AQM. But AQM is something that can be implemented in an operating system, in a home router um, or home gateway type of a device in an access provider's network. And so as an example, in our network in the United States, which is a DOCSIS network, we've implemented an AQM both at our CMTS, which is the next hop from the home in our network, as well as in the cable modems, um, the DOCSIS 3.1 cable modems that are in customers' homes and serve, serve as that router gateway device. And basically, each one of those, one does AQM in the upstream direction. So that's the in the home, that's the upstream for traffic going from the home to the internet. And at the CMTS, the cable modem termination system, 
that's from the downstream direction, sort of from the internet down to the home. And so a lot of networks can do the same thing. Other access networks um, you know, can implement uh, AQM. AQM's available in things like OpenWRT, a lot of um, home Wi-Fi gear that you can buy uh, now comes with that either enabled by default or something you can turn on. Sometimes they call it SQM. Um, and, uh, you know, so there's a range of, of potential solutions there right now that will make that dramatically better. I want to discuss deploying AQM a little bit later, but one thing that's worth clarifying now for those who are only hearing about AQM for the first time is that this isn't necessarily a new technique, is it? So why is it only now receiving interest from ISPs like Comcast? It's not, you know, AQM has been talked about for many, many years. I think I'm trying to remember when the first RFC was that described AQM. It's been a long yeah, time. Yeah, the first reference I've been able to find is a 2001 paper in IEEE Transactions on Networking. Right. Yeah, it's exactly. It's, it's quite a while. And I think what's new is that there's just been a lot of work to push it into operating system kernels to um, really get it into access network standards so that it can be deployed. And so I think it, it really took a few years in the formative stages and sort of the standards development to get people to really understand it and then to go implement it. And in a way, it represents a bit of a shift and perhaps a dramatic shift for a lot of network engineers that used to just think, you know, hey, as capacity speeds increase, the buffer sizes also have to increase. And, um, you know, really the conclusion with things like AQM is, no, that's not the case. Sometimes, you know, your buffer should stay the same or get smaller because you're providing signals back to the sender to sort of moderate what they're doing and you provide more fairness between flows. So, you know, there have been, you know, some, some sort of conceptual changes that people have to accept before they're ready to, to sort of embrace AQM. And the biggest one would be packet loss, which has traditionally been viewed as a bad thing and should not exceed 2%. But ActiveQ management accepts packet loss as a necessary feedback that we shouldn't necessarily seek to eliminate, but rather lean into it. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's one of the important, really essential signals um, that uh, the transmission control protocol TCP uses to you know, really do what it does. And so as an example, you may have um, you know, some groups that think, you know, hey, you should have zero packet loss, right? And if you play that forward, that means you have to have massive buffers and therefore you don't want to drop any packets. The problem is when you have these massive buffers, then you have these massive delays because you're waiting for all the packets to arrive. And in fact, you know, when you see TCP, a lot of folks are familiar with sort of this sawtooth pattern when TCP is ramping up from a slow start and trying to find how fast can it send, sort of what's the capacity of its connection. And it will keep trying faster and faster rates until it notices some packet loss, at which point it backs off. So on some level, without some packet loss as a signal, you would never be able to get up to allow TCP to use its, you know, the, the full capacity of a connection. But essentially, that little bit of packet loss, not a lot, a little bit of packet loss is an important signal back that, you know, to that sender, hey, I'm reaching capacity or I, I don't have enough capacity, please moderate a bit. And there are other things like explicit congestion notification, ECN, and other ways to provide some signaling that folks are deploying as well. But the important thing is to provide a signal back and packet loss is one of those things that can happen. So is it relatively easy to deploy AQM, Jason? Are there virtual means of doing it? 
Well, it really depends. You know, for us um, in a DOCSIS network, it wasn't terribly difficult because we did the work foundationally to get it built into the DOCSIS 3.1 standards. And so, you know, as part of building it into the standards, all of the vendors, say the CMTS vendors, for example, built that into their products. And then uh, the cable modems, you know, the, the same thing. For most of our customers, we provide them a gateway. They can certainly go to a retail store and buy one, but we usually provide it for them. And we manage the software uh, stack on that device. And so we certainly had to implement it there, but it's nothing dramatic or, you know, it, it's nothing that uh, people should be scared away from um, in terms of the level of effort. Um, I think it's one of these things it's realistic to do. You can go out and do it. You just have to resource it and, and go out and make it happen. Yep. So working with your vendors, just like any deployment. Your, your vendors or if, you know, you manage like us, some of the uh, software stack, you know, just your internal dev teams. And you've said that you've deployed it on Comcast networks. What have been the initial results? Have you been able to measure a reduction in working latency? Well, it's one of these things that um, it, it's, it's, you know, because it's not a, a, a user-facing function or it's sort of a UI thing that you see in your app, it, it's sometimes difficult for a user to perceive. Um, but I think we certainly know from our testing, um, from running, you know, we run about 700,000 tests a day to our end user cable modems and watching the performance results of those over time and before and after turning on AQM, it is a very stark difference, really night and day performance between the two. And so, you know, we think it suggests that those customers, it wasn't like they noticed, oh my gosh, like I went from, you know, a 100 kilobyte per second service to one gig. It's, you know, that would be dramatic, but they just notice things are starting to work or things work and I, I'm not having these same problems. Um, but when we look at the statistics, if we look at the measurements themselves, you know, it's dramatic from a downstream standpoint, downstream working latency would hit maybe one or two or more seconds. And now it's on the order of 250 milliseconds of latency in the, at that 99th percentile. Upstream is even more dramatic. Um, you would have gone from perhaps 250 milliseconds at the 99th percentile down to more like 15 to 30 milliseconds. And that the consistency of that, you know, when we look at that distribution, just became very tightly distributed, you know, between the 15 to 30 millisecond range. So if you think about someone that is like, we're learning from home, you know, doing school at home, uh, working from home, like that stuff just got dramatically better for them. Um, and their experience is just not noticing random dropouts of audio or suddenly video getting a little bit blurry and pixelated and then coming back in. So it's sort of those subtle things. Certain segments of users will certainly notice it more than others. Gamers in particular are super sensitive to lag. Um, so they're more likely to notice it than others, perhaps. I wouldn't say subtle at all, the feedback. Um, I'm sure there would be many gamers and video streamers out there that would have recognized the improvement. Though I guess the subtlety that you are referring to relates to how most users recognize more so when things don't work. For sure. And I think the other complicating factor is that as soon as you fix this bottleneck or the queue, if you will, in, say, the customer's home network gear, you know, that DMARC to the, the ISP network, that bottleneck shifts somewhere else. And that usually will shift to the wireless LAN to the Wi-Fi network. And so... We certainly notice those customers that upgrade to, say, a mesh Wi-Fi system in their home will you know, have much better performance, especially if that sort of distributed Wi-Fi network 
has Ethernet backhaul between all of the Wi-Fi access points even better. Um, so it may be a case of, you know, you fix it one place and it shifts someplace else and you've got to go to the next thing to fix it. You mentioned in your post the importance of Wi-Fi and that the newest Wi-Fi 6E will improve working latency performance. Does this also relate to AQM? Uh, it's a little bit different because the, the Wi-Fi standards, which the IEEE develop, that, that sort of wireless radio protocol has its own you know, unique way of working. AQM is really more at the you know, IP and TCP layer, if you will. And so this, the Wi-Fi is sort of you know, one layer below that. And so really, they both have to be fixed, of course. But we're super hopeful that 6E, Wi-Fi 6E will really be a big improvement. And I think we'll start to see once that you know, ships in volume, um, you know, what the effects are. And there are alternatives as well to AQM that the IETF are working on. Can you expand on what those are? That's right. You know, the IETF is always thinking, you know, a little bit more over the horizon than what operators are focused on deploying today. And so they're, um, they've sort of moved on. Okay, AQM's its thing that they focused on a decade ago. And now they're saying, you know, what does ultra low latency look like? So as an example, I talked about AQM bringing, say, latency of 15 to 30 milliseconds at the 99th percentile in our network. What if that was one millisecond or two milliseconds? Um, that would be a dramatic, dramatic shift. And, um, and so there's a, a, an area there, the transport area. There's a transport area working group that's been working on something called L4S, um, which is uh, it's basically saying you can have high throughput and low loss and low latency all at the same time. And um, they're working on exactly how that works. One of the, the sort of design tenants is to have potentially two queues for processing packets. So one which is for um, packets that, or flows that are not queue building, um, meaning there is just sort of a constant stream of packets. Think about real-time traffic in that manner. Um, the other would be queue building, so where you're doing large, say, file backups or file downloads or something where you've got lots of bits you know, coming up or down, but you're not very sensitive to, did it come in this millisecond? Because you're not really waiting for them. An example might be an operating system update. You know, It's important to get it soon, but you're not there waiting you know, in fractions of a second. Whereas with a game or a video conference, obviously that's more sensitive. Thanks so much for joining us today, Jason. It's been a real pleasure and it's provided me with a greater understanding of latency and how Comcast and other ISPs are addressing it. Thank you. As mentioned at the start of the show, Jason wrote about this topic on the APNIC blog recently, which I recommend you having a read of and seeing the successes that Comcast is having with AQM. Thank you again, Jason. And to everyone out there, thank you for listening. Uh, If you like what you're listening to, please subscribe and please do share with your friends. We're only starting out uh, and if you have any topics of interest that you'd like to hear from or if you are interested in even talking to us, uh, please let us know. Uh, There will be an email in the description below to get in contact. Otherwise, leave a comment. Until next time.